How's it going, everyone? Adam here with So Is Your Podcast. I got another interview for you. This one is with a man named Jay Edidin. Jay is a longtime comics fan, comics writer, comics creator. He has worked in and around the comic business for a long time. His latest project is writing the Serial Box series Thor Metal Gods. It's a very cool series. It's kind of a enhanced audiobook more than radio dramatization, but we talk pretty much all things comics, comics industry, his writing experiences, what it's like working with a writer's room. If you're into comics and the creative process, this is definitely for you. Check it out. Uh, hey, everybody. Uh, I'm sitting down here talking to Jay Edidin. Uh, he is a writer on the new audio series, Marvel's Thor Metal Gods, and it's available through Serial Box. How you doing, Jay? Um, great. Thanks, Adam, and thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for taking the time. It's a uh, very cool series, and it's cool that the comic and superhero characters are moving into the audio-only realm. It's been a really interesting project with regards to that, because I think a lot of people see audio serial and expect it to be like a radio play. And it's it's basically a serialized novel that's being published simultaneously audio and text. It does have some pretty good production to it, too. So while it's not a full-on dramatization, there is uh, sound effects and music and background, and the narrator does a pretty good job with doing voices without it being impressions or comical. Yeah, that is, I I, I think his name is pronounced Daniel Gillies. I feel like I should know this by now. But um, he, is, he is apparently a, a famous television vampire, and I haven't actually seen him on anything, but he, he does a great job reading our book. Oh, okay, yeah, he does. Um, but before we get to that, um, I kind of like doing a little bit of more of a long-form approach, if that's okay with you, and start on your creative journey and what got you into writing. Oh, God. Wow. Um, <laughs> or we can bypass it if you want. <laughs> that's that's long and convoluted, and there's the question of what got, in, got me into writing in general versus what got me into writing this, the latter of which comes more tangentially through a long career in comics, first as an editor and then as a journalist, while writing my own fiction on the side and gradually making contacts who were aware of both. Um, and originally, Alex DeCampi, who's been who's producing the Serial Box um, books, put together the creative team for this and approached me for it. So largely in this case, via a long career in comics, but I've I've been basic i i am i am i am that rare rare english major who's been working in writing and editing since before i got out of college and pretty much strictly in my field ever since oh that's incredible so yeah it's it's i think lucky i i i'm on the fence about that periodically <laughs> but it's definitely been a really really cool series of opportunities is there anything um, from your, it sounds like, pretty extensive resume you want to uh, highlight or point people to, or you just want to jump right into Thor? Gosh, um, these days I've cut way, way, way back on the freelance stuff that I have going on. Depending on when this goes up, I may have just announced another project, but I'm not sure when the announcement is, so I can't actually talk about it yet. Ah, so close. Other than that, <laughs> other than that my, my, my ongoing thing is Jay and Miles explain the X-Men, which is a weekly podcast about the ins, outs, retcons, clones, and time travel of what I feel fairly strongly is comics' greatest superhero soap opera, where basically it's basically what we say on the tin. My co-host Miles and I explain the X-Men on the premise that it's probably about time someone did. That's very cool. Um, and it's a, uh, sorry, where did you say people can find that? Uh, that's just at explainthexmen.com. 
and I am I'm also I my my writing has largely been online or published in at least partly online places. So I'm I'm pretty Googleable. Oh, great. That's uh, right up our audience's alley. So you'll probably get a lot of hits on that, too. All right. Well, um, hope you survived the experience. <laughs> OK, so getting a little more towards uh, Thor, you were invited onto the team by someone you had worked with previously. I was. I had worked with Alex on a couple projects before, mostly in a consulting or freelance capacity. But we'd also been, um, we we live in the same city and are fairly good friends. And so we'd been co-working periodically when I had been full-time freelancing and basically sharing our work with each other as we'd went and just sending drafts of things back and forth. That's a really cool, uh, friendly end to have. Because one of my questions was, how do you get into such a massive IP? I mean, especially now. I mean, I the the answer to that is largely the answer to how do you form collaborations and relationships in comics in general, which is work in a field, establish a reputation, do good work, make and maintain professional relationships within that field. And I am I, I, I actually I've actually done done workshops at conventions on professional networking in the comics industry, which is kind of bizarre considering that I don't primarily work in it anymore. But one of the things I feel pretty strongly about is that cynical networking very, very, very rarely pays off in any real way. Like the ways that I consistently get work through networking and the ways that I've seen people consistently do that involves forming and seeking genuine collaborations and seeking out people whose work I like or people who I want to work with and approaching them on those terms, not expecting them to get me somewhere. And it's, it's, it, this sort of goes with the fallacy that, you know, generations of famous people in industries all seem to know each other. And it's not that they all know each other because they're famous. It's because they were, they know each other because they were all coming up in the industry at the same time. And made those connections and kept those connections and gave each other's hands up over time. Okay, that's a really good tip for people. So that's I, that's sort of my big tip. I mean, that's that's how I ended up in comics in the first place, was basically going to conventions and starting con- conversations with, with professionals and saying, I'm interested in this industry. Can I ask you a few questions? And then afterwards, can I stay in touch with you via email? Oh, very cool. So, so yeah, uh, yeah I would say um, what you were saying before with you, you were kind of on the fence if it was lucky or not. And I would say just having the passion and it's working out for you. That's that's really great. Yeah, it's it's been really cool. And it's it's been an interesting arc over the years. I like working in comics now much, much more now that I'm not dependent on comics as my primary livelihood because it gives me a lot more freedom to interact with the industry in ways that feel okay to me or that I'm comfortable with and to do the things that I want to do and kind of step away from everything else. And most importantly, to keep doing critical work and social commentary journalism relative to the industry, which I care a lot about and which is something that obviously is not an ideal career path to take if what you if you want your main job to be making comics because it, it by nature, the cost of doing that work is is a fair amount of professional opportunity in the field. Okay, it's really interesting. So you kind of have to play ball, but now you get to kind of uh, walk the line between both worlds that you're interested in. Yeah, I can I can tell my agent things like, I want to do this project, 
but only if they'll really modify the criticism clauses so that if these, these, or these situations come up, I can comment publicly on them. And I can afford to have that be the hill I die on because it's not, you know, it's not the primary hill that I'm dying on. There's another hill that, you know, pays me a salary and benefits. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I I always sort of saw doing the the dream job full time as ideal and I've I've had I've gone back to sort of having having a, a very separate day job for almost the last year and it's it's been I I don't know if what it's what I like long term but it's been a really interesting shift and I I find that I actually have things that I do for fun now rather than just everything gradually turning into work which has been a bit magical did you find that your passion for comics was sapped a little bit when you were doing it day in and day out with the last thing you'd want to do on a Saturday afternoon is comics again? Well, when you're freelance, everything has to be work. You can't read something and not think about how you can turn it into a paying pitch. Like okay. you have to before you, you you can't go into projects without thinking about whether there's a market for them, what that market is, whether you can sell them, and everything becomes fodder for those. And at the same time, if you're doing that work in and and connected to what would be sort of a large larger fun and leisure source for you, you don't really have that outlet anymore. And if it's what a lot of the people you're with and connected to do for a combination of work and fun, it becomes very, very quickly all-consuming. I could definitely see that happening. Yeah, in in ways that I think are are endemic to creative industries, and especially to creative industries like comics, where no one quite makes enough to not work 60 hours a week. Um, and also where, by virtue of that, the people who are in there are the people who are really, really passionate about it. That's a, that's a really cool insight and like a whole angle that I've never considered. Yeah, I'm not sure if at this point I've I've gotten cynical or optimistic in terms of what that means but it's been again it's it's been a really interesting shift I'd been I'd been basically working full time interconnected to comics since I was god like 23 so um for about almost 15 almost 15 years um when I when I shifted over to this and it's 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 a change that I think I'm I'm still getting used to too much to be able to really say that my sweeping generalizations are accurate, but they definitely feel pretty pretty applicable at least <laughs> to me. Talking about you having a foot going back and forth in both worlds, you kind of mm-hmm. get to keep one foot in the comics through writing Thor, even though this project isn't comic specific. Um, even with all of your experience and everything, was there some level of intimidation on taking on a property like Thor? I mean, no. <laughs> I feel I, I I feel like I should say yes, but no, no. Thor was actually I I cannot think of a Marvel property or really a shared universe superhero property in general that would have felt more comfortable than Thor, because it's one that I know very well and enjoy a lot, and I'm not particularly closely associated with. So, like, if it were X Men, that would feel really high stakes. And Thor felt like space where I could play. Um, It was a really amazing project, too, in that one of the things that sort of differentiates Serial Box from just straight up, most straight up licensed novels is that they use a TV writer's room model. 
So there were four of us collaborating on this book. And um, Aaron, the lead writer, sort of brought in... Okay, where was I? Thor, right. So Serial Box uses a writer's room model. So there were four of us who, you know, sat down in a room, hammered out details. I mean, Aaron had already brought in sort of the the, the general plot, um, and we're all working together on that, and then, then divided up the chapters and went and worked on them individually, but still with a lot of back and forth and interplay. So I had this incredible support network and in, in in a way kind of safety net because there were people who would catch things that I didn't. There were people who were coming in with more and less experience in different areas um, than I was. And I think the variation in that and the variation in our, our creative backgrounds and group, in, or the, and I think the variation between our creative backgrounds, especially in the group, is part of both what made us you know really strong as a group but also what made working on this so comfortable because it wasn't a sense of all of us have x years or x publications of qualification relative to each other it was like well we're all coming from wildly different directions let's see what happens when we mix them it sounds like you get a lot more points of view like it'd be a lot more fun yeah it was it was really fun and it was also um the other thing about thor is that when you're writing Thor, you're drawing from a massive, 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 massive pre-existing range of characters and stories in Marvel and all of the continuity stuff. But you've basically got a huge swath of mythology to play with components of, too. So there's a lot there. It's a lot less grotesquely continuity dependent than Avengers or X-Men would be. Thor doesn't time travel a whole lot, for instance. I think he's only been cloned once or twice. <laughs> so, so there's that too. Um, and we also, the this story is also set fairly far removed from a lot of the heavier Marvel Universe continuity, which of course was helpful in and of itself. So yeah, this was, this was about as low personal pressure as it could have been going in. Like it, it felt like a project that I was pretty excited about and equipped for from the start. That's really awesome. Um, speaking of this specific story being a little bit removed, um, it sounds like you were brought on early in the process. Where did the actual synopsis come from? Because just hearing the name Metal Gods, I had no idea what to expect. I mean, I was thinking very literally, and then when I listened to it, I was like, oh, that's a really clever take, and that's a really cool angle to play. Yeah, that was not the working title, but most of the concepts um, came from Aaron and Alex before we'd even met. Okay. So you got to kind of join the team with the elevator pitch, and then your writer's room would break it down and uh, outline it? Yeah. A lot of the big pieces were there. How many of them made it to the final version in the forms they started in? is a kind of different question. So for example, Harangi was a di was originally a completely different character based on a specific figure from Korean myth who it turned out someone else was also using in a comic that was going to be coming out before in a very different way. So we yeah, so she changed into a tiger and a lot of her backstory and and concept changed around that. Okay, for that's instance. interesting. Um 
the Thor, you know, Thor and Loki were pretty much solidly where they were from the beginning. Um, Zia was pretty much solidly where they were from the beginning, although had a different name. Um, I'm thinking, I think the only the only Marvel Universe character who wasn't there at the very beginning was Lila Cheney. And the basic arc of the plot was, while, while how they got from, you know, point A to C to G changed points A to C to G, points A, C, and G are, are roughly the shapes that they were in the original synopsis. So the the bulk of the uh, the vision was maintained. Yeah, um, the the kind of the the macro vision. Right. Okay, that's really cool because I know a lot of times in these projects, the end project doesn't resemble at all what you started with. <laughs> yeah. No, I think in this case you could you could make a pretty clear roadmap from the first outlines through the different iterations and versions of it to the the final. So you were mentioning that uh, one of your characters got tripped up a little bit because of a comic book property. Did you find there was a lot like you had to, I mean, of course you always have to pay respect to what came before, um, but you have comics and Norse mythology and now the movies are bigger than anything else. Was there a lot of uh, pitfalls and checking and constantly sending drafts in to see if someone else was doing this or looking into it or? No, because... First of all, because again, what we were doing was very far removed from what was happening in the Central Marvel universe and from the time in which it was happening in Central Marvel history. Like, there wasn't a lot we needed to continuity check. That's got to be really freeing while you're writing. Oh, yeah, it was extremely helpful. We we double-checked a lot of stuff. Um, Brian Keen and I are both massive comics and continuity nerds, so we were sort of the, the, um, the folks going through that with a fine tooth comb but and and uh, of course our, our editors too and, and marvel went through everything a few times before it got recorded the main set of issues and questions we had with them were what we could and couldn't do with the existing marvel character characters we used of which there are a lot of cameos but there are really only only three who are major major characters in this story and those are thor loki and lila And uh, so writing for these other characters, um, Loki, I mean, being a trickster and then what Tom Hiddleston did with him in the movies, that had to be a lot of fun and very different than writing the more stoic, even though he's a little snarky, Thor. They were different. They are tremendous fun to write together because so much of how they interact is kind of this ritualized banter. Thor, I think, and I, I think the trick to, to writing good Thor, and my Thor, I'll qualify that if you're coming in, into this from comics, you've read 70 different takes on Thor, and one of them is the one you imprinted on like a baby duck. But my Thor is um, is Walt Simonson's and Taika Waititi's and Jason Aaron's, um, who is a Thor who is very old and very smart and pretty funny but also very aware that straight man is the position that he falls into relative to Loki. Okay, I see what you're saying. Or that, you know, 
kind of neophyte is the position he falls into relative to people on Earth. And what we, we and we talked about this as we were working on this because Thor is also a great character to use when you need someone for pratfalls because he's strong and he's brave and he's handsome and you can you can you know you can have him slip on a banana peel without feeling like you're picking on him. But okay. <laughs> but. What we sort of decided, and actually what a lot of the book ended up being about, I'll say thematically the book actually shifted um, in a lot of ways relative to this in particular, is that Thor is incredibly, incredibly competent within his genre. But he's a guy whose life and whose background has been so specifically dominated by basically Norse epic narrative conventions that when you drop him into another kind of story, he'll try to continue to use those. And again, he's very good at them, but he's not always, he's, he's, you know, he's got the hammer, and so everything looks like a nail to him. All right, yeah. That's a, that's a really cool take, but more a cool observation, I guess. Like, it, it shows that you really deeply understand the character. Yeah, I mean, he's he's... Not subtle, but he's not the buffoon he gets, I think, played at in contrast to Loki sometimes. The other thing that's really, really lucky for us in terms of continuity in Thor and Loki in particular is that those are the Marvel movies that I think hew by far and away closest to the comics in terms of characterization. I can Um, see that. And fairly fairly close by way of continuity and have also had a lot of cross-pollination, so... Loki's popularity in the movies meant that there have been a lot more Loki-centric comics, which means we've gotten stuff like Kieran Gillen and Al Ewing's runs with the character, which have overwhelmingly informed sort of what he's evolved into at this point, and then also definitely my read on him. So he's a trickster, but he's also a character whose whose trick whose mode of trickery has a lot to do again with narrative convention. He's you know if Thor is the guy who sees everything through 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 Norse epic lenses. Loki is the guy who is so aware of what genre and what type of story he's in that he can't really manage to participate in it. Or he can, you know, he can manipulate it, he can shift the narrative, but he's he's not really a an organic part of it in a lot of ways. That's very cool insights. Like I'm just uh, you know processing it all. Um, so it really sounds like you had a very, I mean, doesn't sound like you definitely have a very strong grasp on the characters and how to write for them. Did you find um, being a writer's room of four people, I believe you said, mm-hmm. um, did you find it hard to all have one unified voice? Because listening from one uh, chapter, I guess you'd call it, to the next, it, it almost has like a poetic cadence to the writing, especially on the Thor-centric scenes but it never feels like slightly different. Yeah, I mean, we're also all professionals and we all went in with an idea of the tone that we wanted the narration of the book to have. So I think I think a lot of that was a matter of tweaking and where it went in 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 line edits and revision once we'd seen each other's chapters. It's I mean it it's it's it sounds a little bit silly, but the voice that we're using in this one I mean, the, the narrative voice in this is one that's that's not terribly hard to pick up, I think. 
Okay. Like it's not it's and it's not one that's specific to one or the other of us. It's a it's sort of it's it's a tone that exists and exists with certain conventions and that we've all got different takes on but are all sort of aware of and familiar with going in. Was the fact that it was I mean there is the uh the written versions on Serial Box also but it's known primarily to be an audiobook was that a big factor in the writing or was the writing the writing that was not a big factor in the writing that was not a big factor in the writing to the point that when they were about to start recording they sent us a list of words that they had to figure out how to pronounce and all of us were just like oh god we didn't even think about this (laughs) that word is literally unpronounceable (laughs) what do we do Um, so it was i mean it was it was a factor in that i think it was it was definitely part of what made us lean in the directions we did tonally like we wanted and and that's that's something too that i think has really helped with with the unified voice is that daniel gillis reading it gives it even even more sort of tonal continuity than it has as just the text that's very cool um i had a lot of questions on the writing process but you kind of laid it all out on the line so that's awesome um every chapter starts with you know the, the title obviously thor metal gods cha- or, um season one does that mean there's a season two on the horizon or is that more of a hopeful thing i honestly don't know that no don't know okay you're gonna have to ask the folks at marvel and cereal box about that <laughs> all right <laughs> i didn't know i was gonna ask if you're gonna be part of that continuation but i guess that would be we'll see yeah if i if it exists i hope so do you have anything else on the horizon, or are you just kind of uh, dabbling in and out of comics while you do your other thing? Well, the podcast's still going. I have a project that is about to be announced and may have been announced by the time this comes out that I can't talk about right now. That's kind of the other big thing I'm working on at the moment. And I've been um, trying to, I've been actually basically decided I was going to take about a year, year and a half off from pitching to just write stuff on my own, develop pitches finish some things I'd been wanting to finish and work only two jobs instead of four or five. So I, I, I don't have a ton going on simultaneously right now. Hopefully what that means is that I'll have bigger and more interesting stuff in the next few years. Oh, that sounds cool. Yeah. Um, it's probably a question you get asked in every interview, but are there any other superheroes that you'd be dying to write for that you haven't gotten a chance? (laughs) Oh man. With, the caveat that this assumes that every specific condition I have that are the you know these are the under the condi- these are the conditions under which I'd want to do this sure are met. <laughs> I mean, I would I'd love to write Thor comics. I'd love to write Asgard comics. They are and 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 Loki. These characters are a blast. They're really fun to work with. It was really hard to say goodbye to them at the end of this project. Um, I really. Obviously, the X-Men and the X-Universe is sort of where my heart lives. But at the same time, that makes me almost more reluctant to say I want to pitch for it. Because I enjoy it so much as a reader. And I know my own tendency to get mired in self-doubt on stuff that feels like I'd have to nail the landing with with no bounces, no matter what. Which which that kind of would. So maybe X-Men. I'd love to do something like this using X-Men or X-Characters or something that involved some degree of fairly radical reimagining or rebooting um, or recontextualizing in a different medium. Oh, gosh. Let's see. 
<laughs> this isn't this is just set of superheroes. But I mean, I guess it doesn't have to be superheroes. <laughs> that just seemed like the obvious transition because we're talking about well, Thor. It, but it is, it is superheroes and involves a lot of superheroes. But what I, I'd really, really love to write for animation for either Marvel or DC, the ways that the animated series and movies that have come out and the ones that are continuing to recently distill and recontextualize and make accessible these large, complicated, convoluted decades of context are things that I really, really like. And I got to say, doing the Serial Box gig, I've, I've done a little bit of TV writing before, but this really drove home how much I love that collaborative writer's room format. I think that it's a, it's a creative dynamic and a way of making work that's really not like anything else I've done or encountered. And that is is just just tremendously tremendously fun it sounds like it would be especially because it's a a sandbox you want to be in and you're with other people who have the same passion and interest so you could just bounce off each other every last little thought that comes into your head yeah i mean that's that's a lot of the fun of comics too i love the medium and i love telling stories in it but getting to tell stories that are collaborative in and and in collaborative in directions and with skills that I couldn't bring to the table on my own is kind of magical like being able to write a script for someone and say this is roughly what I'm imagining but this is what I want it to get across and be able to trust them to to take that and run with it in ways and directions that I wouldn't think of is such a fantastic gift. I imagine it's a very different uh, feeling doing an audio or um, novel compared to a comic, compared to your TV writing experience or any other medium. They have, probably have their all uh, benefits and pitfalls. Yeah, I mean, every single medium is wildly different, and I think one of the most common pitfalls for folks going between them is to assume that one looks like or works like another because of similarities and that's that's part of the fun of getting to work in a bunch of different ones is that they're all different and they can all do really different things that is very cool um well i really appreciate you taking the time to sit down i mean you gave me a lot to think about and i'm sure our listeners are going to be all over it um, is there anything you wanted to plug? I mean, your own website, your uh, your X Men deconstruction. Yeah, I've got that. Um, I again, I'm pretty Googleable. I will if 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 you've got a place to put it, I can send you a link to my very very bare bones um, professional website at the moment. I am extremely active on Twitter. That's probably the the place where I most exist online right now, as not lasers, as in what Cyclops' eye beams are, <laughs> and. Um, other than that, uh, I got nothing. You can listen to Serial Box now. My chapters are about to start. I think the first two of mine are seven and eight. So. Okay, cool. Yeah, Thor Metal Gods can be found on Serial Box. We should probably definitely mention that. Yes. Um, is it a, I think it's a 10, 10 chapter season? No, it is 15. 15? Oh, even better. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's pretty long. Well, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, once again, thank you. And, um. We'll definitely send me that email and we'll get your website up there and everything. Will do, and thank you so much for having me on. I just wanted to give another big shout out to Jay and thank him for sitting down and hanging out with us. I really love talking to these creatives. I find it very inspiring. 
Uh, I urge everyone to please check out Jay's stuff, and if you're into comics at all, check out Thor Metal Gods on Serial Box. Also, make sure you listen to So Wizard Podcast every single week, wherever you get your podcast. You can check out SoWizardPodcast.com for reviews, recommendations, merchandise, and more. The So Wizard YouTube page is constantly growing. We're trying new things. Uh, so subscribe to that and let us know what you think there. You can also find So Wizard Podcast on Patreon, and for a very low monthly donation, you get bonus content. And we love hearing feedback, so drop us a note in the comments or leave us something on social media. All the accounts can be found in the show notes. Thanks.